Hello, this is your host, Paul Harvey at Life, Passion and Business. I realise I put this at the end of the programme most of the time. And I also realise I don't often listen to the end of podcasts. So I thought about it, i tell you here before we get started. So the first thing is this podcast is not supported in any way. We have no sponsorship. So if you would like to support us, do check out the Buy Me A Coffee link on this podcast app. And you also find it at the website. Now, also, if you are interested in the five questions and would like to answer them yourself, do check out the resources tab at the website because the five questions is available as a workbook and an ebook. And if you want to know why that's important, check out the end of the podcast or go and check out the resources tab at the website. That's enough for me. Let's get on with the program. My name is Paul Harvey, and you are listening to Life, Passion and Business, a podcast born out of my desire to find greater meaning in life at the time when I thought there was none. Since that day, I have spoken to hundreds of people, and what I have discovered is that our story is everything, because what we do, feel or experience is based on the stories that we tell ourselves. It's time to explore what it means to live a good life. How do we make this experience better? And more importantly, how do we lead the world to a better place? Coming from this understanding and exploring the truth about human experience, I find a lot of meaning in continuing that exploration, Mm. continuing to see, you know, what really is true, like, both for us as a human race but then what what is true for me like what is what what are my thoughts about things where where is where am i holding myself back because i'll like i definitely have a lot of ideas and then i definitely experience that thing where niggly nelly as i like to call her comes in and says well you can't do that you're gonna look stupid blah blah So, so always like looking to see what i can see about my own experience and how that's being that's being played out What you will hear on this podcast is the journey of a burned out teacher. Her recovery came once she discovered a place of calm by stripping back rather than adding more. Her discovery was the three principles and it is the realization that the reality we see and experience is not what we think it is. The three principles were the inspiration of Sidney Banks. He was a Scottish welder living in Canada in the 1970s. Struggling with insecurity and while attending a weekend course, it was a passing comment about thought that opened a door in his mind. I've been exploring that process for many years. It's an incredibly simple concept, but really hard to explain. If you've ever heard of non-duality or oneness, it's part of that conversation. The premise is that we see the world we want to see based on our thoughts and projections. So on the show today is Claire Downham, who, after a rich life as a mother, a head teacher at a UK primary school, resigned having burned out. Her body could no longer tolerate it. And that started a journey in personal development, where she repeated her patterns that led to burning out as a teacher. Today, Claire is a three principles practitioner, and she's known as the Queen of Calm, and has a large following on Insight Timer. Claire is a great storyteller. Her original plan was to be an engineer. She learned to weld, cut and mill metal. But the science of engineering was not her thing. And in a 180 degree shift, she went into the humanities and on to do a teaching degree. 
She met her husband, became a teacher, and set about the process of building a life with a family. Hungry to succeed, she took all the promotions she could get, moving quickly into school and management. But nothing in the training teaches you to be a manager of a school. So how does a van with no wheels end up blocking the school gates? And more to the point, how or who gets to move it? We explore the cause of her going off the rails and how self-care may have prevented her from eventual burnout. It is a lovely conversation with a woman who has been on the journey of life and come to the realisation that reality is not what it seems. We get to explore the three principles, something I've wanted to talk about for ages, but never quite had the confidence to do it on my own. So let's join this conversation with Claire Downham. Claire, thank you so much for taking the time to be here with me today. So where did it start for you? Where were you born and how did passion enter your life? Oh, that's a good question. So I was born in Leeds, actually, probably not not that far from where I live now, as it happens. Um, a hospital down the road from where I live now is where I was born in 1971. My early life was pretty <laughs> nondescript, it's probably just normal. Like I don't feel it was particularly, it wasn't particularly challenging. I think I was traditionally parented of that era, like quite firmly, quite critically, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. as was the nature of parenting in the 70s and 80s. I call it treat and mean, keep and keen parenting. You know, like um, sort of keep telling your children they're a bit rubbish and then they'll get better. <laughs> that seemed to be the parental, the yes. parenting yes, theory of the time. I, I, it definitely was a period of the, start of the time, wasn't it? That was definitely, yeah, yes. Definitely, definitely. Don't let them get to above their station. Keep, keep, no, keep. God, keep them down. Yeah, definitely. Yes, yes. definitely. So a, child, a child should be seen and not heard. That's what I was yeah, told. Yeah, I don't think it was quite that much, but it was definitely, <clears throat> um, yeah, definitely about making sure I knew what my foibles were and, mm. and was encouraged to address them. And I, I think I, as a result of that, was a good girl. I was so What def- did you enjoy as a child? What was your, what was your, what was. So when I was young, I kind of, I did a bit of things like dancing, but not, not masses of physical stuff. Really not sport, definitely not sport. Like literally couldn't stand sport at all in any way, shape or form. No interest in that. It time. comes later. I, I hate sport, but now I run. So, you know, it happens. Well, yeah, I think for me, <laughs> I, I, I was interested in exercise more with this frame of mind that I, I felt I was an overweight person from being very, very young, probably from being about nine, maybe. And so I would, I would, I engaged in physical activity like, well, aerobics on a cassette tape. Would you believe it? And um, because there was no videos or anything, so yeah, I remember having a cassette tape with um, Felicity Kendall of all people, and actually doing exercise to a cassette tape when I was really young, probably below ten. Mm. That I needed to address so that that was definitely a thing. And I remember then when I got a bit older, the the um, the exercise thing came in with aerobics, and step aerobics was definitely a thing in the eighties, I suppose, that became. So I did find my way into some kind of physical activity eventually, but it wasn't really a passion, I would say. Um, I mean, really, sciency stuff was my thing from being quite young. It wasn't ever. I did learn to read very young because my parents were very kind of into making sure I went to school already prepared, and but I didn't like reading. Mm-hmm. at all didn't see myself as a reader 
but definitely channeled my, I suppose, my my passion, the things I'm passionate about was science, maths, physics, science, languages, perhaps. Um, but I don't remember ever being massively passionate about anything creative mm-hmm. at all, really. Um, did a bit of dancing when I was younger, but I think, I don't know when this happened, but I definitely feel like I bought into a concept of myself as a bright girl and that bright girls don't do frivolous things like dancing and painting and things like that. Or, you know, I I just did all very sensible subjects at school and, um, yeah. Oh, horse riding though. I did horse ride, but again, that's not really creative (laughs) in, 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 you know, I'm sure it is if you go to. It's connected with nature, isn't it though? It's it's definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's connecting with the, with the kind of essence of life and stuff and and learning to communicate with with another animal. Yeah. And look after an animal. So I did, Mm. I did have like a half share in a horse at one point. Mm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But did you get to university or was that not the, not your thing? Oh yes, definitely. I mean that was that was a given I would say in my life. Not not will you go to university, but what what you know which university will you go to and what will you do when you get there. I don't ever feel like anything as I say anything creative or anything like being a hairdresser or a painter or anything like that was never it was never even in my it's almost like a piece of me was just not mm. discussed or entertained or talked about it was very academic focused and I think that was a way for me as well to to make sure that I was not getting into bother (laughs) you know by being a good girl I was a good girl I'd got my head down and I studied very hard and I was you know I was always always I worked very very hard academically at university as well yeah so my, my story about university was uh, is a kind of a two-part story because I had two shots at it. <laughs> because so when I was at high school doing my A levels, I was doing math, physics, and chemistry A level, and there was a massive push at the time to get girls into engineering, women mm. into engineering. Big push, sort of in the late eighties. And I remember not being wined and dined because obviously I was underage for wine, but I remember almost being, yeah, kind of ro- it being romanticised, is that a word? Yeah, it kind of being sold to us as this amazing career to go into. Definitely money was shown to us as being the thing. You know, you were going to get money from being an engineer. And I did had no idea really what I wanted to do, but it all looked very nice, this whole engineering thing. So, uh, and then um, there was sponsorship about at that time from quite a lot of businesses. I guess people would more do apprenticeships now, but there was sponsorship available and I applied for sponsorships with quite a lot of big companies. I definitely went for an interview at Rolls-Royce, um, but eventually got a, an apprenticeship from what was Roundtree Macintosh and just was in the process of being bought by Nestle during my during my time there. So my year after I finished my A-levels, I actually had a year where I went to, well, first of all, I went to uh, sunny Colchester to do my engineering practice one. So I learned how to mill and lathe and weld. Um, which was kind of a pre the thing they wanted us to do as part of this um, initial year in industry. And then from the January to the summer, I 
went to the factory and worked in Roundtree Macintosh and I had an absolute ball. I had a really great time, mostly because the social life was great. I was a 19-year-old young woman in a, mm. in a space with a lot of middle-aged blokes and they took me under their wing and I had a great time. It was, you know, I worked with the fitters and the plumbers and I did a week on Smarty Packing and I had a really great time really exploring the factory. Smarty Packing for the sake of... Smarty about, Packing on night shift. That smarty was Smarty Packing. This is Smarties I talk, you're talking about, isn't it? Smarties, the yeah. The sweets, yes. yeah. <laughs> I spent a week with the ladies packing Smarties. Um, yeah, so I had a great time doing that. But then I went off to Birmingham Uni to do mechanical engineering and hated it. I mean, it's just... <laughs> I'm just going to say, I hated it. It was not for me at all. It it was, there was something about it not being about people, I think. I mean, obviously, eventually engineering is about people. But at that stage, it was just wasn't for me at all. I found it really hard. I, I, and I just didn't gel with it at all. But I did have a lot of fun drinking a lot of alcohol and um, partying hard with the rag team. And yeah, I had a great fun for a couple of terms. But then at the end of that, by Easter, I just knew I had to leave. It was oh, just so wrong. Um, so I came home mm. like with my tail between my legs. Um, mm. Probably one of my first big experiences of failure that, mm. or oh, it felt like failure. I don't feel like it's failure now, but that's how I would have seen it back then, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I got a job because that's what you kind of have to do, really. When you come home from you, you don't know what you're going to do next. So, And I ended up, um, I did a rubbishy job in a petrol station for a while, but then I got some nannying jobs. I'd always done babysitting. I'd always kind of had an interest around mm-hmm. you know, spending time with young children. Even as a younger child myself, I was always the one who ended up at family parties with the baby. Mm-hmm. That was my thing, you know. So, so I yeah. So I did. I did a bit of nannying, and then. <sighs> I don't even know how I ended up on my next degree. I don't know why I chose it. Literally no idea. Um, I, I don't remember. It was a complete swing to the opposite direction. So I went to Bradford Uni and I did interdisciplinary human studies, which was philosophy, psychology, sociology and literature. That's a long, long um, way from a million years uh, of metal. Yeah, it's a, a big difference from engineering. And... Um, I did work hard, but I did find it hard. Um, and, and that was because un, unbeknown to me, I have a, a concept condition called Erland syndrome, which is a, a scotopic sensitivity. It's brain-wise quite similar to dyslexia. So when I look at black print on white paper, which obviously every book you've got to pick <clears> up in psychology, sociology, literature and, and philosophy, <laughs> definitely all black print on white paper, you get distortions and blurring and your brain can't take the information. So I would struggle. A friend of mine just a few years ago said to me, no one ever told me that the numbers were not supposed to move on the page. Oh, bless him. Yeah, I mean, that's when I found out. I was actually mm. a teacher by the time I found out I had it. And I cried big time because I, mm. I realised that it had all everything's always... I've, I am, I know intellectually I'm very bright and a very fast thinker and everything but then when it came to the written and the reading I just used to find it really really hard and and getting information to stay in my head getting it off the page and so that I could recall it I always found that hard mm. so so yeah so I, it was hard work got my tutu by the skin of my teeth and then I did a PGCE um, and while I was there, I met my husband. What's a, P- what's a PGC? A postgraduate, a postgraduate certificate in education. 
Oh, you became a teacher. I, I did primary education. Yeah. Ah, nice. Mm. So that was. So your, um, nanny, so your nannying came through for you. Yeah, yeah, and um, my mother very annoyingly after I chose teaching, she said, oh, "I always thought you'd be a teacher, and thought you could have mentioned it to me on the way. That might have been quite helpful because <laughs> she never mentioned that she thought I could be a teacher." Um. So um, yeah. So I went into primary education. With I went into primary education. Now this is where the I don't know if you call it a passion or a mission. Um, but the minute I got into school, I knew I wanted to be a head teacher. Like it, it was, I was very focused. And there's not many people who say that. There's a lot of accidental head teachers in education who never, ever wanted to be a head teacher, whereas I was. I always sense it's a different thing, isn't it, head, head teaching? I sense it's like, is it more administration? Is it less child contact? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. It's more, it's more, yeah, the management of the, the business, really. Because yeah. um, it's a big business, it's a primary school, really, depending on what size of primary school you're in. But it's a business with a lot of human beings involved. Well, in your part of the world, they are. In my part of the world, they're not so big, but I'm, I live in Scotland. But I mean, I'm sure, I mean, yeah, I'm sure there's a thousand kids plus in primary schools around your part of the world, I'm sure. Not, not in Leeds, no. <clears throat> I mean, you max out at about. There are some three, form entry which would take you up to sort of seven fifty-ish, but mm. the yeah, generally it's a lot of little souls to look after, isn't it? Yeah, it is, and and but they're the least of your problems. It's usually the staff office. <laughs> That's the issue. <laughs> Luckily, yeah, other than your previous and people you were, were listening to this today. <laughs> Who knows. <laughs> Um, or cares. Uh, so, so yeah, so I became primary school teacher. I shot up the career ladder whilst uh, I'd actually met my, I'd met my first husband at university and um, poor thing, kind of, I feel like it was, the whole thing was my mission, the getting married, the having two children, the, you know, the, the whole, everything we did was my mission and poor thing just kind of got dragged along for the ride, really. Um, so, yeah, so whilst I was on this ridiculous, passionate drive to get up to the top of the career ladder, I had two small children in tow. Um, so I moved jobs every four years. Well, my first job I moved after five years, but I did have two maternity leaves while I was there, so I wasn't really even there four years. <laughs> Um, and then after that, it was every four years to the to a, I never moved sideways once, and I moved schools and moved to a promotion every single time I moved. Um, so it was pretty. Uh, so you were very, definitely very focused on managing a career here. <clears throat> uh, managing? Oh no, not just a career, Paul. My entire life. Okay. <laughs> yeah, let, let's be open and honest with the listeners. Um, oh God, I mean, structure was so, your structure was your thing, so, by the sounds of it. I'm going to call it control, Paul, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, not going to mince my words. I was an absolute, I'm, I would call myself now a recovering control freak. I was micromanaging my entire life. I micromanaged my husband. I micromanaged my children's careers. My Both my children have worked in TV and film and television from being very, very small. So there was a lot of logistics around that. You know, this child has to be here and that child has to be there. And how does all that work? And who needs to know about it? And how, which, what food do they need? And what, you know, like everything in my life was well, if it's that, Yeah, and if you are managed. doing things that it has to be managed, you couldn't do that without management, could you? No, no. But I'd still say it was more control than just man. Mm. There was management, yes, but there was 
absolutely a great big ton of control as well. Tons of it. Are you still, are the family still together and everyone's still friends? Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I, I guess that, so I, I'd say I was always stressed, always like almost jittery, like I, I struggled, I couldn't sit still. I was always thinking about the next thing. My mind was very busy. I often had sleep issues before my I split up for my husband um, and then we split up in November twenty. Oh God, yeah, it's ten years ago. Mm. I just realised we've just gone past the ten year anniversary of him moving out. Um, so he moved out in November twenty thirteen. Um, he moved next door. He's still there, Paul. So that's another. We could do a whole other podcast on my comedy personal life. But <laughs> but yeah, it's so nice he that, it's nice that he managed to move next door to still stay in touch with children and stuff. And yeah. Yeah, for for a time, but now they are 24 and 21, 22, sorry, sorry and, and not here. So there is no okay. purpose to it. I mean, oh. we now have a comedy situation where the second Mrs. Downham lives next door to so the first Mrs. Downham. So, because he's remarried. <laughs> well, you know, there's not just, you know, like, li you know, life and stories, you know, it's like, you know, you can never write these things, can you sometimes? They just, oh, no. It's just like, no one would ever believe it. You couldn't make it up. Mm. I, in my first headship, actually, I had a secretary, and um, Leslie, bless her, she was lovely. And and we'd get to the end of one of those days where you just think, is this supposed to happen in a school? What the <laughs> and she'd just go, she'd just be leaving, and she'd just go, that was an interesting day, wasn't it? And let's go, yeah, she'd go, well, you just couldn't make that up, could you? Oh, and then on, what, just... what sort of things had happened in that <laughs> just... day then? What sort of things had happened? Oh, God. I mean, yeah, one of my favourite ones is that um, – one morning, there's a kerfuffle outside the school. So my school at that time had um, it had like quite a, a driveway coming down from the road. So the road was above the school, and then there was a driveway coming down. And the school was at the bottom, and then there was all this kerfuffle outside. And I go outside to find that there is a transit van, which had its roof sort of cut off and then the roof was upside down in the so clearly it was ready for scrap and or it was or it'd been used in a crime i really don't know um to find that it was literally across my front gate mm. and apparently what had happened was somebody had driven past on a flatbed with with this thing on the flatbed <laughs> yeah, down the hill. not attached not fastened on properly and it had rolled off and gone into my front gate and i and i like it's a miracle. I mean, if it had been, if it happened half an hour early, it probably would have been much more tragic. Mm. But as it was, I'm left with, and they drove off. They never came back. <laughs> but so I don't think they. And maybe maybe they didn't even know where they dropped it. You know, like when you drop your keys out walking, and you think, oh, where are my keys? These people dropped a transit van, didn't really know where they'd left it. But anyway, they drove off. Well, I'm left with a transit van. So I thought, <laughs> well, I don't remember this on my head teacher training. What do you do about transit van that's kind of blocking your gateway and halfway across the pavement? So anyway, so first I thought, well, I'll phone the council. And I got this, I, I got somebody who'd got out of the bed the wrong side because I made a joke about littering and they did not find it funny. I thought it was really funny. but So I phoned them first. They didn't want to know. And then I managed to get these policemen to come and I convinced them that it was evidence. <laughs> So I, I was, it was the summer because I remember I was in this little floaty dress. And so I spent literally an hour flirting with these two policemen <laughs> to get them to take this lorry, this van off my hands, which they did finally do. They got somebody to come and tow it away. 
Um, but I mean, you just couldn't, you couldn't make that up really. Like, what, what am I supposed to do about this bizarre situation? Mm. Nothing to do with children, nothing to do with schools, but just one of those things. That I'm sure teacher. every school has different, every, every head teacher will have different conversations oh God, about yeah, definitely. bees, mice, wasps, all sorts of things that, that inhabit the school or do things. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. And my other favourite one was the um, so I, I my my first head both my headships were actually in Pud, in a place called Pudsey, which is the original reason why Pudsey Bear from Children in Need is called Pudsey Bear. So I remember once um, that so Stuart Andrew, who was my MP at the time, of the MP for the school, he decided to get sort of celebrate Pudsey Bear and Children in Need and get the Pudsey Bear thing back you know back to Pudsey. So he got hold of a Pudsey Bear suit and he was going around all the primary schools, visiting the children, visiting the schools and getting somebody to come round the school with him to talk to the children with Pudsey. So he'd have Pudsey Bear. So obviously somebody had to put the Pudsey Bear suit on. So in a small primary school, Paul, guess who the only person who's out of class and available to put a Pudsey Bear suit on is? You. It was me, of course. So I remember this this hysterical situation with Stuart Andrew trying to get me into a Pudsey Bear suit, which was, which I have to tell you, the head of which was damp inside. Yes. I didn't want to know why. He told me it was Febreze, but I wasn't convinced. Anyway, so I get this thing on. You can't, I don't know if you've ever had one of those suits on, but you cannot see a can't thing. Can't say I have. You can't see a thing. The eyes are like, like that. So you can't see your feet. You can't, and my, my school was all staircases. So, so I'm, we were just in stitches and Stuart Andrews escorting me around the building. So I get to reception. They're the youngest children, four and five years old. I walk through the door, sit down, and Stuart Andrews going, I brought Pudsey Bear to see you. And they went, is that Mrs. Downham in there? Stay <laughs> <laughs> away. And I was like, oh, no, no. So I couldn't even get past the four-year-olds in my side. <laughs> it'll, it'll be the way you walk or something. Oh, I think it was just they know that everybody, every, all the other teachers in the classroom and I'm the only other spare adult so they're not daft these days are they so yeah we had a it was crazy it was crazy um, so what happened um from your teaching career how long did you stay in teaching so from that headship I so yeah that head I split from my husband in November 2013 when I was in that that first headship now most headships last longer than the four years traditional moving point of Claire Downham um but you know, I got to, I split up from my husband. I went through a bit of a wobble in terms of my social life. Um, I started to do maybe a little too much social life, um, including a lot of online dating and partying and salsa dancing, goodness knows what. And when I got to the, probably the start of 2014, I just started to feel a bit unmotivated about my job and a bit like, is this really what I want do I need a move kind of thing and then just as that was happening a job appeared in another school same family of schools a school that I felt I knew well enough to to kind of move across to so I applied for that job and I got it um, and I started in September 2014 so within a year of splitting up from my husband when I probably should have been like you know just mm. taking it easy a bit and taking some time out to reflect and looking after myself I just became a crazy person and um yeah and and took a promotion so I lasted two terms in that job 
Mm. It was a it was a big promotion. It was more than double the size of my previous school because it had its own. My previous school didn't have a nursery, and this one was two form entry, and it had a nursery as well. Oh, and it had its own childcare, private private childcare wow. as well as a, like as a separate <clears throat> business. So yeah, I took a lot on. As with most jobs, when you take over, you discover all the things they told you at the interview are all rubbish. The school is nowhere near as good as they said it was, and there's a lot of problems to deal with. And there were a lot. There were a lot of things to deal with. So, um, yeah, so, and I just started to uh, spiral down is probably the best way. I started to get sick all the time. My sleep was shocking is probably the only word for it. Like, in the last term from the January to the March, I just, I, I virtually couldn't sleep. I'd, I'd get, I'd fall asleep because I'd be absolutely exhausted. And then, but then I'd wake up after a couple of hours, maybe three hours, maybe five at a push. And then that's it. I wouldn't again. So it was, um, it was awful. Mm. And then on the 31st of March, 2015, I walked into my office, took one look at my uh, computer and walked out and never went back. Oh wow! Yeah, you made, at least you made the choice, the right choice. But the sounds I didn't make a choice. There was no choice involved. There was nobody doing any choosing. There was. It was like the only way I can describe it. With it was as if my body just refused to allow me to allow this mind to do this anymore. It was like stop. It's been screaming at me. It's been screaming at me to stop. You know, I wasn't mm. sleeping. I was super stressed. I was like jittery all the time, mm -hmm. really wired. So you uh, totally burned out, effectively. I, I completely burned out. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and it's really funny because I often say this because I talk about a stress a lot now, and I help people with stress. But <laughs> if you'd have told me the day before I was stressed, I would have just laughed in your face. I would have said you'd be ridiculous. I'm not stressed. I just mm. need. I just need to sleep better. And and every time I went to the doctors, they kind of say, "Are you sure you're okay?" Mm. And I go, "No, you just need to make me sleep better, and I'll be fine." <laughs> just <laughs> as I twitched and kind of you know, looked like a crazy person. So how do you reset from that? Because I mean, you know, you, this is a career that you've 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 chased for years, mm. you know, and it's a big re it's a big career move, and your body's gone no. Yep, full absolute full stop. Um, well, slowly is probably the answer to the question, Paul. Mm. Um, I would say that it's probably only recently that I've felt. I mean, I would say I, I, I won't. the the real The real bad part of it, I would wake up and just be unable to get. My head would just feel so shut down and clouded and horrible that I just couldn't get out of bed. And that would be, you know, midday, two o'clock in the afternoon before I'd get out of bed. Now, that sort of sensation is less so, that, but it's only recently that I've started at all waking up in the morning feeling okay. So it's not to be scoffed at. You know, people talk quite glibly about burnout. I mean, I burnt out this weekend and then went back to work on Monday. Well, you didn't burn out then. <laughs> you know, you didn't. You, you're talking about physiologically damage to your body really you know not that your body doesn't have the capacity to heal from that but it doesn't if you carry on living your life at a ridiculous pace which is what i had done for just far 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 too when long was that was it 2014 uh 31st of march 2015 was when 15. i walked wow. so, yeah yeah a while ago now yeah a while ago now now so what happened next what did you do so um 
laid in bed a lot <laughs> for the following year. So the, 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 I, I didn't work for a year, mm. which, I mean, it's crazy because I'd always worked. I mean, I started working when I was 14 at Saxon Shoes on Brigitte and Leeds. I'd, I'd always worked right from being very young. So that the idea of not working for that amount of time is just I look back on it now and it's just quite surreal really but I it was it was almost like that that moment when my body said no it just said and I am going to hold you down now while your body recovers it's like if we don't listen to our bodies it our body will find a way you know in well, that used to be that you know it used to be heart attacks, didn't it? In 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 executives and things, and you don't yeah. see that. So you oh, don't it still is. That. We don't see, <laughs> you don't hear about that so much these days. People dying of heart attacks or in 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 work environments, and I guess it might be the medication's better. It just stops the heart packing up. <clears throat> don't know. I don't know. You mean the cat? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I I always say that if I hadn't burnt out, I probably would be have had a heart attack by now. Yeah, or well, be cruising towards a heart attack or yeah. a stroke or some, some kind of brain. Something hemorrhage. happens, but the body gives up on some level because you're just forcing adrenaline through it so much that it eventually yeah. just, it just poisons it. Yeah. So I was lucky, I think, in a way that it was burnout and not anything worse that killed mm. me. You know. So. Yeah. So I didn't work. I I kept thinking I was going back to work. I kept having all these meetings about going back to work and talking about, it, and then I would just, you know, I would just revert back to feeling awful again and then in January 2016 there was a big meeting I felt like I was better I thought I was feeling better and I wasn't at all nowhere near and I had a conversation planned my phase return I never went back because my body just went look after it was like being slapped around the face it's like my body went I've told you once I've told you twice I've told you three times now you're not going back to work and give me a light old slap across the chops and then making me go back to bed again and and in a way, I'm like, I'm just so grateful, really grateful that my body just kept failing me in a way, because otherwise I probably would be back there. Now, I'm not chatting to you, Paul. So there you go. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not, I have heard of a lot of people in education, certainly at that level, having similar problems. I mean, I seem to remember edu- head teachers in my era taking huge amounts of time off for stress or what have you. So yeah, it's not it's not surprising. You're holding a lot in the school. Yeah, but I I would I would say <clears throat> it wasn't my job. It was no. less my job than my personal life. Right. And, and 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 I would say even on a different level that it was my thinking. <laughs> you know, my thinking had created mm. the thing in the first place of me moving jobs during the year after I split from my husband because mm. I thought I needed a new challenge. Mm. Like all of that is a creation of the mind, isn't it? And it's seeing that that, you know, the mind is creating everything that yeah. we, you know, every bit of our life that we go It's the over. story we choose to believe, the one we want to yeah, believe. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, absolutely. The, the path that we're on because this is the story that we that we believe is true. Mm. And for me, I think there was definitely a sense of, well, once all these things in my life out there are okay, I will be okay. And and I don't think I consciously got that, but unconsciously that is the mission I was on. It was it was like a game of whack-a-mole. Yeah. You know, the, the heads were coming up and I was just kept bab- bobbing them down, da- you know, hammering them down. I think in the aim is, you know, the aim for us is, isn't it, that we'll get to the point where all the heads are down permanently and then, you know, suddenly a beam of light will come down from heaven and we'll be happy. And that is definitely what I was 
doing was mm. pursuing my well-being in the outside world mm. um to the point so of did, did you find a new career or did you did, for yourself what did you do yeah so i um i resigned on the 1st of april 2016 mm -hmm. just because i you know questions about when i was going to go back and did i need mm. to go through a capability procedure and blah 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 and i just thought no i'm done really and I think having been away, being out of education for a whole year, I mean, I'd never been out for a year, even on maternity leave. I only did like eight or nine months out. So, you know, having been out for a year, I just, it, it just didn't feel right to go back really. And I wasn't ready and they, and I couldn't say when I was going to be ready. So there was all this, start, it was starting to get a bit icky around personnel, HR type stuff. So, so I resigned and 10 days after I resigned, I got a random email about training to be a hypnotherapist and I thought do you know what I've had a bit of I'd had, a, I'd had had a bit of hypnotherapy over the years I'd had a bit during the year when I was poorly and I thought do you know what I'm gonna go I'm gonna go on this course I didn't I didn't go on it thinking I'm gonna start a business I just thought I'd go and learn a bit more about hypnotherapy because mm -hmm. it's been interesting and maybe it's something new to learn interesting to learn I've now else to do I thought <laughs> so I'll, get, I'll go do that and I went to this training and it was only really towards the end of the training when they started talking about, you you know, you can see clients now and you can work with people and you can, you know, why don't you go and put some posts in your local Facebook community or, you know, do that. And I was like, oh, so, so am I starting a business now? I seem to be doing that. <laughs> that seems to be what I'm doing. It felt like it had nothing to do with me. Like that there was something else moving this whole thing. And I think I would say that about all the amazing things in my life have just happened like from nowhere almost, not with me being in the driving <clears> seat. And, and the points in my life that have been more difficult have been the points in my life where I've been Mrs. Control Freak, you know, yeah. trying to make everything be a certain way. So, yeah, so I that's what I did. I started sort of offering free sessions which went down well in Yorkshire I think most people who came to start with had no idea why they were there they'd just seen the word free and they were up oh it's free and they'd be like what, what am I what am I signing up for here well I'm going to find now and they're like oh okay <laughs> so um yeah so I did that and I and then by the autumn I was starting to do a bit of business networking and that's when I started to get some concepts of business and what being a business owner means and what you have to be like mindset wise, you know, um, to be a, a decent business owner. And I really bought into, I guess, some stuff around productivity and, and that I wasn't enough of that. I wasn't enough productive, enough motivated enough. I procrastinate too much. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of stories around that. Um, and so, well, then I, I went on a self-development mission around that issue in particular around that issue, which involved, um, you know, every book about habits known to man, um, all the things like five second rule, anything about, um, you know, the one thing and books like that, that are about, you know, how to focus and how to get the things done. And I did things like work with a business coach around the 12 week year and, planning everything to a ridiculous 
just my, my control freakery was just going, oh, this is lovely. You, it's lovely. You've, you've beautifully read all the books on my bookshelf. You're, you're going oh, through them one by one. In order, funny enough. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah. So, I, so, yeah, there was so that and that became. So I was doing all the kind of get yourself into the right state on a morning stuff. So Miracle Morning and, you know, all the meditation, affirmations, gratitude journals, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I guess like I was okay, um, but still quite dissatisfied with myself, really, I would say, just still not feeling not enough. Oh, and I was doing lots of therapy as well. So I was doing a lot of poking around in the past. I've done counselling. I did inner child work. I did other kinds of hypnotherapy. I did, you know, a lot of a lot of trying to explore the root cause. So the story was, I don't think I'm good enough. So that's why I procrastinate. So we need to get back to the root cause of why I don't think I'm good enough so that I can feel good enough and then I won't procrastinate. Complicated. <laughs> and took a lot of time and a lot of money as well this chasing of the perfect person that I thought I was supposed to be. Mm. And I was in the thick of that, I would say, when a friend of mine um, put a post on Facebook saying that he'd um, done some coaching training. He'd done um, some training with a guy called Michael Neal. He'd done this thing called Super Coach Academy. And he just needed some people to practice on. And I put my hand up, of course, because... <laughs> Because I was always looking for the next thing to fix myself. So I thought, oh, this might be, this might be the thing. And I, I went along to this, uh, actually went, because it was January, this was January 2020 by this point. So I'd been on this trying to fix myself thing for, for a good few years. Uh, not as many years as some people end up on it, but, you know, quite a, quite a while. And it, so I went to this, I went for this coaching with this guy. I think it was a couple of hours the first session. And um, I don't know how many times he went back out to get more tissues, but I was literally a snotty crying mess because I was just, ex I was exhausted by then really mm -hmm. from chasing this ideal Claire person, whatever I thought I was looking for. And he introduced me to this um, understanding known as the three principles or the inside out understanding. And, um, I had some coaching sessions with him and then I started to listen to the teachers from this understanding a lot and just started to notice some ease around quite a lot of different things um, in my life. Just, I, I often say I, I should call myself the be less bothered coach because just stuff just didn't seem to bother me before stuff that used to seem really problematic it didn't change in the outside world but I was just like you know just less bothered about things and then of course January 20 uh, March 2020 was the next significant point for all of us of course, oh, what happened then, of course. Oh, oh, I don't know it's a funny old time <laughs> yeah so so because of that my in-person hypnotherapy business um kind of upped and left really it, it was no more. There was it was a dead hypnotherapy business, <laughs> um, and but but in a way I was kind of grateful because by then I knew that I wanted to work with people to teach them this understanding that I'd learned and to help them to experience. So we're going to come to that understanding because I think we need to, we, we need yep. it's quite a com it's 
it's not complicated, but it's quite a head thing. So, and, I, and I know I've tried to explain this before, so I'm going to really looking forward to your explanation of the three <laughs> principles. So let's just uh, so how does success initially for you was always about your career and control? What does success mm -hmm. mean to you now? <clears throat> I mean, the first word that comes to the first two words that come to mind are space and freedom. Mm -hmm. And when I say freedom, I, don't, I feel like more importantly, the inner freedom than the outer. Although for me, the, 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 always traveling in the direction of being, being able to travel physically, you know, we, we have a motorhome. So having a, a life, a business that supports me to be able to travel, to be mm. not location-based, you know, to be able to move around, that's important. Um, I think just peace of mind comes to mm. mind. Calm, obviously, I'm the queen of calm. So, be yeah, just just feeling nice, you know, and and realizing that that's not anything to do with the outside world, really. That that's mm. available to me all the time. I don't have to navigate towards or away some from something in the outside world. That that you know that that state of mind is is available to me all the time and. You know the the physical <clears throat> elements of success. Yes, I'm looking towards growing my business and making more money and all those kind of things, but that's not really. As it would important. be. It's, it would be nice a nice to yeah. have, but it's you're a not, nice you're, to have. Yeah. But you're not exactly. Um, how would I word it? You're not. Um, it's not an expectation that would change how you feel about it. I mean, obviously, if it didn't work tomorrow, you'd be upset about it, but you'd do something else, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Knowing that I'm okay, whatever is going on in the outside world, hmm. and, but also with the with the caveat that I know as a human being, I'm going to go up and down. Some days I'm going to, you know, be upset about things and angry about things or whatever, and that's that's okay. It's part of hmm. this human this human journey. So, what do you talk about? What, what do you look up to for contribution? And I guess contribution is also legacy to some extent. How do you feel about that the contribution to the world? Yeah, I think I think the this this understanding that I teach is it's fundamental. You know, all the things we look at in the world that are not right right now. You know, people blowing each other's children up and people hurting each other and you know, people hurting themselves that they are all fundamental fundamentally underpinned by people not understanding the way their experience is created. Like all of it, all of human suffering is created through well, resistance to what is really, and and you know when when you see that you can't not, you know you want I want to share this understanding because I can see the impact it can have on the world. So, you know that I've recently started to share quite a lot of stuff on Insight Timer, and I love it on there because I know there's millions of people on there, and they're you know they're they're checking out my content and they're learning from it, and I know I'm having an impact even from people who can't necessarily afford to pay me. Which is which is great because I want that broader, that broader impact. And with that in mind, it's kind of helping me to navigate what might be the next step. How might I help more people to share this understanding with more ease? That kind so of. So looking forward to exploring this understanding with you, which is going to come in a moment because it's. Yeah. it's what about um, the contribution to yourself? Obviously, you've you've had a journey. 
and you, your journey has, has you know, laid you low. You had no choice. So I guess out of that, you must now have some very strong principles for looking after yourself. Yeah, but there, it, there's a lot of, it, it's very simple, really. And it is about listening to my body, is to put it in, in a simple way. So, for example, I usually do start the day with some kind of exercise, but that really varies. So I've noticed the last couple of days I've got quite a lot of upper back, I've got a bit of upper back pain. So the last couple of days, my yoga, I've done some yoga and it's been all around you know, care of your upper back, you know, that's, that's been where I've been focused. I, you know, some days I'll go for a walk. I do try to get out in the fresh air at some point in the day, but other days I'll notice that I'm just absolutely pooped and I, I'll have a nap, you know? So for me, the, the self-care when I came, when I was in that self-development phase, when I first came out of the other side of burnout, well, moved away from burnout, the intense period, it was all very rigid and very, it's got to look like this every day. And if you're not doing these things, you're letting yourself down. And I do think a lot of these kind of ritualization of self-care is not guiding people towards, again, still listening to their bodies because they're like, well, I've still got to do this thing, even though I'm not well, well, because it's my self-care. Well, that just is so <laughs> illogical to me. So, you know, in the winter, I notice that it's flipping dark outside and I'm I'm staying in bed a little longer. And you know what? I'm touching my phone first thing in the morning and I find that when I wake up, a little bit of scrolling, a little bit of doing a bit of my email, whatever, that seems to like help my head to come. I, I'm listening to me. Whereas you go out there and the gurus will tell you, don't go on your phone first thing in the morning. It's going to ruin your day and you're not going to be productive and blah, blah, blah. Rubbish. Absolute work. Find out what works for you. That, that's the key Absolutely. here. That's the key. It, Absolutely. I know what works for you because yeah. for some people it is rubbish. Some people it is bad for them because they've only got so much mental capacity in the day. And when they spend it having an argument with someone at first thing in the morning on their phone, it's not. It's not going to sort their day out. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, definitely coming at all of that from a place of calm is helpful. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, definitely. Absolutely. Definitely. So. What do you look to as for meaning? How, what does it all mean? You know, I, I always want to ask this question, what's the purpose of humanity? But for you, what does it mean for you? Well, I think for me now with, with this, you know, coming from this understanding and exploring the truth about human experience is, is I find a lot of meaning in continuing that exploration, mm. to continuing to see, you know, what really is true like both for us as a human race, but then what, what is true for me? Like what is, what, what are my thoughts about things? Where, where is, where am I holding myself back? Because I'll like, I definitely have a lot of ideas and then I definitely experience that thing where niggly Nelly, as I like to call her, comes in and says, well, you can't do that. You're going to look stupid, Bob. So, so always like looking to see what I can see about my own experience and how that's being that's been played out, but also to look more and more to see what is true for, for us as, as human beings. And I just love my ongoing exploration of this. So I still, uh, you know, every day I'll listen to somebody's podcast around the three principles or a bit of non-duality. I read, you know, I attend the occasional. I've just come back from Spain where I've been to a three-day um, three principles event, which was lovely. Um so yeah, it, 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 I, I see that there's, 
you know, there's fifty, nearly fifty-three layers of crap. Excuse my French. To 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 you know, there's there's a lot of stuff I've learned, and and that ongoing unlearning process is profound, really. You know, you know, I said before, every so often it's I notice I'm not bothered about something, but now every so often as well, I notice that something just looks completely different or I am completely di- just completely different to how I was before or something just suddenly looks like it's not true when it really looks true. So let's explore your understanding or your definition or explanation of the three principles and non-duality. Mm. So I, I veer still to, I'm still learning about non-duality. I, I guess th- there is a thread of that all the way through the, the three principles, but I'm I'm happier talking, I think, about purely about three principles. So uh the three principles, quick history, guy called Sidney Banks, he's just a Scottish welder in, in 1973, living on Salt Spring Island in Canada. And uh, it's not really got very much to do with self-development or spirituality and a little bit, but not much. Um, him and his wife are having a few relationship problems and they go to some kind of event, weekend event thing that's supposed to help them with their relationships. Chock full of psychologists. Obviously, he's not like that at all. And during that during that time, he has he has a conversation with a psychologist and the psychologist says something to him along the lines of you're you're not you're not insecure. You just think you are. And and or he doesn't quite say that, but that's how Sydney interprets it. The story's a bit like, you know, a bit all over the place, really, told different ways by different people. Uh, but then Sydney just has this, I guess you'd call it an enlightenment experience. He just suddenly sees very differently how human experience is created. And he suddenly sees that, yeah, he's not he's not really got this insecurity problem. He just thinks he has, and that he, and, and a lot of stuff for him just instantaneously falls away which is what can happen when people come across this understanding is that they can have these big big shifts because they just suddenly have a different they're just suddenly in a different paradigm completely different to where they were before so he begins sharing this he begins talking about it some psychotherapists and psychologists and psychiatrists in america and canada get involved some of them are still alive and still sharing and there we we kind of call them the elders of the community so they're in their 70s and 80s and they're still teaching this and so as a result it starts to get filtered down and some um a couple of quite significant coaches Jamie Smart and Michael Neal come across it in about 2009 and they already have got very successful they're both in NLP and both quite helping NLP, they start spreading it. And and it's and it, as a result, it's starting to st- – it's still, you know, 50 years down the line. These things take a long time, though. I came to it from Jamie Smarts myself. That's how yeah, I came to it. Yeah, And Michael Neal, was it? It happens both of those guys. Yeah, yeah, I was – Michael Neal and Jamie Smart were my first teachers. So what is it is it's a, a simple explanation of how the human experience is created. So – with a lot of stuff that's about helping people, it's very much about not not how is our experience created, but how do we change our experience? So, so a lot of stuff is about changing thoughts, changing feelings, changing behaviour. Three principles is not about it's not about what we think. It's more about just knowing that we think and that that is the underpinning reason why we feel the way we feel. So, there's a definite connection between the energy of thought and the energy that materializes in the body in terms of the sensation. So I 
veer away from labeling those now and labeling the emotion emotions because I don't think that's a mind. That's what a mind's done. A mind has said, this is called anxiety. This is called anger. This is called, you know, that's a mind labeling them up. So, so there's this connection between our thoughts and feelings, as opposed to what a lot of us think is that the outside world is creating our feelings. So the three principles are mind, thought, and consciousness. And each of them has kind of two elements to it. So, for mind, we've got universal mind, which is, well, how do the trees know to make their leaves go brown and the leaves fall off? And how are my lungs breathing and my heart beating and my stomach digesting the food? I'm not really doing any of that. It's just all happening. And so it's it's this energy of life that that just runs everything and runs through us. And, and I guess that's where the non-duality piece connects in that it's it's that sense of oneness, that sense of that being that we're all part of the same energy, having eight billion human experiences and some tree and animal experiences and all, you know, that it's, there's a something about something that connects us all energetically. And I think even, you know, physicists now are approving that to be true in a very scientific way that there is this energy. So there's that. But then there's personal mind, which is that which well it's like a, it's like the label it's like the pricing gun in the supermarket that we used to have back in the days and it's just going around labeling everything and storytelling about everything and putting everything into boxes and 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 that is that's it's using the the previous experience that we've had of life that right from probably while we're in the womb while we're being influenced by the mother's experience of life right from then onwards we're creating this set of beliefs and stuff and then there's thought and again universal thought individual thought so sydney used to write them with a capital t if they were universal and a small t if they were personal um and the same for mind and and consciousness and that you know again universal thought well i don't know how you tell the difference between the two other than for me and this is just my personal ideas of it is that the universal thought feels like fresh and new, like it's a new idea, it's a new solution, it's something I've never thought of before. It it kind of, you know, I know when I go for walks in the in the countryside in the spring, and those <coughs> baby, those baby those mother lambs know the sound of their baby's you know bar. It, it's a bit like that. It's like you just you just know the feeling. It comes with a comes with an aliveness, it comes with a, a feeling of promise, I suppose. Now, often then our personal thinking comes in and says, well, you can't do that and you'll look stupid and there's a whole story about that and why we don't do those things, why we don't follow our intuition is generally because our thinking says, no, don't do that. Mm. You're going to be in danger if you do that. There's a lot of safety around the personal thinking. But that's all just our conditioning. It's just all the stuff we've learned from our experience. And then consciousness is, is again, universal and personal. You know, my awareness of, and I think this is a big piece of what happens when you're in this conversation, you just do become more aware of that voice. And rather than just believing it, you become a little bit more questioning of it. And you get the sense, well, if it's coming with a horrible feeling, then it, it's got to be, it's probably a lie, <laughs> you know, so you become more and more. So I would say the biggest piece that 
that instigates the change that comes from being in this conversation is the awareness piece, becoming more conscious. And I, I see that now more and more, not as a, a rising levels of consciousness, that, that we are conscious, we are universal consciousness. We are all at the highest level of consciousness. The only thing is that there's a whole heap of noisy conditioned thinking kind of covering that up really and stopping us um, seeing it quite like So that. how, having an understanding of those principles, how does it help someone? How does it help how does it help a, a you know a, a burned out or a slow, or a nearly burned out headmistress? How how does this work? So I think one I think one of the first things is is a a better understanding of the mechanism of thoughts and feelings. So so less um, a, a change in relationship. I'd say as I said before, a lot of self development stuff is about changing your thoughts and feelings and behaviours, whereas the three principles is more about changing your relationship with them, changing what you understand about them. So for example, if I feel an angry sensation, which I suspect is probably common when you're a head teacher, I know it was for me, I feel a, a sense of frustration or a sense of anger. Now, if I think that's coming from the outside world, the, the thought that's going to look true to me in that moment is do something in the outside world. So it's going to be, you know, to go and, speak harshly to one of my staff because I think they've done something wrong. It's going to be to shout. It's going to be to act in the outside world. And so, or it's going to be to get home from work at half past three and have a glass of wine. Um, or maybe you've got it in your filing cabinet. I did have a head teacher I worked for and she kept booze in the filing cabinet. Those were the days, eh? <laughs> so, so, you know, so it's going to be an action in the always wherever we think this is the, this is the fundamental misunderstanding for everybody is where is this sensation in my body coming from? Where you think that sensation is coming from dictates your next step. So if you think it's coming from out there, you do something out there. So you have a glass of wine, you shout, whatever you do. If you realize that that sensation is coming from you and it's coming from thought in the moment, well, first of all, you've learned, if you've learned this understanding, that thought is transient. And so therefore it's going to move through itself. There's not really anything for you to do. But also from that, like for me, if I notice, and I don't see it all the time, I think it's like a game of now you see it, now you don't. But I, if I notice that I'm, I'm getting riled up, I may well not go and speak to my fiancé about the thing that he's done that's very annoying. I might well take a breath and just go, you know, actually I can feel that I'm not ready to speak about this yet. I, I still might, later on say sweetie you know that thing you did earlier would it be okay if you didn't do that and I'll speak to him in a very different way because if I speak from here from this riled up feeling I am gonna bark some unpleasantries at him probably so it really helps us to navigate every single moment of life moment by moment because we have a different understanding about what this th this is the driving force of human beings the sensation in the body the feeling in the body is the driving force. And if we misunderstand that sensation, we're going to go off in all sorts of probably unhealthy for us and unhealthy for the, the people around us directions. And for me, it's the awareness. we understand it, we, we do differently. We just do differently. For me, it's the awareness piece that's so vital yeah. in this. Because when we get aware of the fact that we're, on a, um, we're running a tape, number of times I run a tape and go, oh, I'm running a tape. 
<laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, my father did. He used to run the tape. He would, he would, he would, he would, he would th see something, and then he would go into a story about how he hadn't done something right, and he would go round and round and round and round, and round his story. Uh, yeah, it was, and it's unchangeable. It was forty years ago. Mm. Yeah, we definitely. punish ourselves with old memories and old thoughts. Oh gosh, yeah, definitely, definitely. This is amazing stuff, and it takes it's a lot of life practice. But takes a lot of practice. Yeah, yeah. But um, I think yeah. one of the main things I tend to talk to people about very quickly is that is the compassion piece is that you're not going to I've just been messaging with somebody who might potentially become a client and and he's already seen a bit and I can already see that he's starting to beat himself up about not seeing it all the time you know why 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 is it still not working here and why is it not working here and it, it's not about it not working. It's just, it's always working. I mean, it's like gravity. It's it's there all the time. And and some days we're going to get our bed the wrong side and we're not going to be in that place of awareness. And there's something huge about being kind to ourselves about that as we go on a journey like this. And any spiritual journey, I think it's so key to see that we're always doing the only thing we could with the thinking that looks true to us in the moment. That that's it, and some days we're going to be floating about, Mrs. Aware or Mister Aware, and we're going to have it all sorted out. And then other days, we're going to be a back to being a screaming banshee. In my case, you know, it's, it, we are going to. But over time, over time, I think we see it more of the time. That that's what I'm seeing. We see it with more depth. We see it more of the time we catch ourselves more quickly even if we do go up into a, a you know a difficult state of mind we come back much quickly and without the guilt of oh i went there and i snapped at somebody or i you know like sometimes i snap at bruise i without the guilt around that i'm much quicker much more quickly back in the world to say sorry sweetie that was me in a like this morning I said something to him that was completely ridiculous. Don't know where it came from. But very quickly I said, God, that was awful. I'm really sorry. Like, because I don't because I'm not going, oh, I'm awful. I shouldn't have done that. You know, I'm not in me beating me up. Because what is the but there's no point to that anymore. I don't see. It just makes it more difficult. Whereas, you know, I'm in the world, I'm looking at his little crumpled up face and I'm saying, sorry, sweetie, that was a bit out of order, you know. It would be wonderful if this stuff could get more mainstream and be involved in uh, our leaders who are involved with this stuff. But then they could do with some personal development, most of them, probably. <laughs> they could <laughs> but, do with something, Paul. But, but the, trouble is, is, the trouble is becoming a leader, or, or, you know, particularly of politics in this particular, I think the same must be applied in the US, is just you, you don't have the tools to deal with the things that they end up in those positions. Mm. And it makes you wonder how, you know, Anyway, anyway, I'm talking about changing a system. Yeah, but it's change. it's the same in everything, isn't it? Because I, if I think about going into like, particularly into my second headship, I, you know, you, I think I do feel a lot for politicians who go into think they're dealing with one issue and find they're dealing with something completely different, um, and and like in education, people just end up kind of moving up the ladder really kind of in a bit of a higgledy-piggledy fashion like I said at the beginning 
There are so many accidental head teachers in the UK. I bet you 50% of people are accidental head teachers. So they became adepti and they're kind of, oh, yeah, I'm okay at this level. I'm all right being adepti. And then their head goes off with sickness or stress and suddenly they're the head. And before they know it, they are the head and this head never comes back. That's exactly what happened to my deputy. When I went off, he yes. wasn't really ready to be a head. I think he wanted to be one long term, but he wasn't really ready. Yes. Um, and before he knew it, he was the head and teacher. The uni- and the universe contrived and he got... The yeah, job. yeah. And I, I imagine, you know... Are there any organisations or people in successful companies using three principles as a management process and operating Ooh. a company on that process? I don't know. They, 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 <clears throat> there are definitely businesses who have you have been made aware of it, trained in it, etc. because I know quite a few people who are doing stuff in the business realm um you know teaching it obviously uh, jamie smart is on on many levels but i'm just curious i wonder how there must be some it would be interesting to see one of those organizations and, and like see how successful or how how different they are <clears throat> yeah it would be actually i mean mm. that would be an amazing case study wouldn't it to take an organization mm. that's got <clears throat> well or find two parallel organizations you know with kind of similar makeup and similar and then you know really kind of go in with the three principles hard with one organization and not with the other and really do that as a proper case study i think you'd find the results would just be phenomenal i mean it'd be interesting to do it in like like a, I'm, I'm thinking of a caring profession what might it be like you know people in in, in you know, nhs or a caring profession dealing with the stuff they're dealing with Mm. And if the three principles were involved in that, how would that change it? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> definitely. It's got to be, for me, as well, I mean, it's it's fabulous for each individual in that situation. So you could take a little department and go do it with them. But I think, like you've just said, until it's coming from higher up the, you know, mm. higher up the ranks, really, it's... Um, so look, we're coming towards the end of our time together because we, you and I, could probably open rabbit holes on this one and talk for hours on it. We probably, <laughs> shouldn't. we probably shouldn't. So let's let's. Um, what could you give the listeners something to take away from this? I mean, I know it's difficult because this is a very hard concept to kind of. Well, it's not hard. It's easy, but at the same time, it screams at us. Mm. Is there something that we could give people that to make them? <laughs> You're looking at me blankly. Clearly, yeah, this is. Yeah, I just, I, I think, I think, you know what the thing I would say, and this is going to sound like a doing, and I don't, but just give yourself a minute and take a breath. Like when you, when you, if you notice you're getting into a tiz about something, you're getting upset or angry or like, like just, just take a breath and just notice what the stories are around it and what. And pausing, I think, is pausing takes practice. And, and you know, when you're deep into the three principles, you pause because you know that this sen- this sensation is like your dashboard, your human, da- you know, the sensation in your body is the human dashboard. Notice your human dashboard and, and notice that it's, it's all in here. There's nothing out there. So what's that human dashboard telling you right now? And most of the time when I tune into that, it's telling me to shut up and sit down. <laughs> Literally, it's telling me to stop. I used to think it was telling me to go way fast forward as fast as I could. And, and now there's this sense. Yeah, the sensation is an indication of my state of mind. If I've got a sign upon my dashboard saying you're in the danger zone in terms of your state of mind, 
I'm going to put my foot on the brake. I'm going to, it's a bit like your speedo, you know, mm. it's going into the red. You're going to be getting tickets and all sorts. Like just, just watch for that. Just notice that if you just notice that and know that internally that will go back down again, but kind of the less you do in the outside world from that place, the better. That's when we do the damage to ourselves and other people. I read a free principles book <clears throat> some years ago and I can't see it on my shelf. <clears throat> but the lady was saying about how she um, went to the toilet and uh, got into this stool and uh, just passed some woman coming out the toilet and got into the stool and saw there was all water all over the Oh, it's toilet. Byron Katie, is that? Is it Byron Katie? Yeah, it's Byron Katie. There's story. all water over, the, over yeah. the seat and going, oh, it's disgusting. Someone glued the Yeah, it's loving what is. Peeing it's over the seat. It's just because that was a man. That wasn't a woman. That was definitely, there was all this story about who yeah, this person yeah, had know, just come out of the one, toilet. Because it was obviously a man who peed over the seat. And so she wiped the seat down and did her business and got up and as she flushed the toilet, all the water came over the top and <laughs> wet the yeah, seat. That is, that's definitely, that's <clears throat> loving what is that story, I think. And there's a lovely Very thing about this idea that we make the story up to fit the circumstance. Absolutely, absolutely. And we're doing that like literally all day, every day, unknowingly, and therefore innocently. Like it, there's a massive piece, as I said, about being kind to ourselves as we start you can i think you can go through a phase of awareness where you just start being really harsh on yourself that you you should know better by now kind of thing and you don't nobody needs that that's not helpful mm. but you know just look in this direction and and do you know if you want to talk to paul or i talk to us but find somebody to learn this from who you like and who you resonate with that that's what i say often on my insight time lives i say you know even if, if you don't like listening to me and I'm not your cup of tea, I don't really care. Just find somebody who you resonate with and get curious about what might be available in this conversation for you. That's a lovely way of saying this. So if you think Claire is your cup of tea, how would they <laughs> go about finding you, Claire? <clears throat> so my website is a, a great place to go, um, clairedownham.com. And I'm also very active on Insight Timer, which is a well-being app. Um, that's got where I've got lots of content, including free tracks and courses, and I go live a couple of times a week on there as well. So that's a great place to come in. Nice. Nosy about do you, what. I'm do you saying. use any other social media tracks at all? Less and less, actually. Mm. <laughs> Probably a good thing. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Well, Claire Dan, it's been a, a joy to talk to you. I've really enjoyed our conversation. So excited to explore this idea because I don't really speak to many three principles practitioners. And it's, it's, an, it's, an, it's an interest for me. Um, and I, I struggle with it as well. So like, it's, it's just not easy. And it is easy and it's not easy. It's really weird, actually. Anyway. Well, they often say it's simple, <clears throat> but not easy. That's that's kind of, and I think that is right. Because actually what, what we're saying is, you know, you, you don't come, your feelings don't come from the outside world. Well, that's easy enough, isn't it? You know, I can kind of go through life. and But that that isn't, it's not as easy as that. <laughs> because the mind is still jam-packed full of the opposite concepts um so yeah anyway claire thank you so much it's lovely to talk to you all the best mm, yeah, absolute pleasure thank you paul and that was life passion and business with paul harvey and my guest claire downham if you would like to explore claire's work you can find her principally on insight timer just look at that pack that um, app and then search her name there is also the website at clairedownham.com 
But you can also find her on LinkedIn and on Instagram. Now, all those links will be available at the website lifepassionandbusiness.com. Hopefully you have been following this podcast for a while and have explored the five questions for yourself. But if not, what's stopping you? You know, after hundreds of interviews, I can say with a hand on my heart that having answers to the questions about our passion, a picture of success, an awareness of contribution, thoughts around the one question and a sense of what it all means, that is the path to a good life. Now look, you don't need me to tell you that our world is changing faster than at any other time, certainly any time I can remember. And we must be sure to know who we are and what we want out of this journey because we will not get it unless we choose it. So please give it some thought because, you know, your future depends on it. And if you'd like some help with that process, do check out the resources tab at lifepassionandbusiness.com where you will find the five questions, ebook and worksheets. Now, this stuff is packed with exercises to help you on the journey towards self-discovery. And it's at the amazing price of just $12.99. So do check that out at the resources tab at lifepassionandbusiness.com. Now, finally, has this podcast been useful to you? If so, please consider giving us a five-star review on the app of your choosing. And of course, sharing it with a friend, because that's how people like yourself find good podcasts. And that's it from me until Sunday. As always, thank you so much for being here with me on this journey. I so appreciate your time and attention. I'll catch you next time. All the best.